And we welcome you in episode 21 of the best podcast available. I'm Jason Gibbs, alongside Andrew Gribble and Nathan Zagura. A happy Tuesday to you and yours, gentlemen. And a lot going on. Uh, still, as the National Football League continues to churn toward its schedule release, the next big milestone uh, for the league. But in addition, we have some virtual rookie mini camps coming up, including our own. And uh, uh, the roster continues to take shape, and we continue to march our way toward September, August, maybe October. Who knows? Uh, we were just trying to figure out when we might get back into our building. And Clearly, that's not going to be anytime soon. That was the consensus. Gentlemen, I hope you both are doing well. Uh, latest NFL news as we come to you on this Tuesday. And it starts off, unfortunately, the passing of Don Shula, an Ohioan, went to high school in Ohio, went to John Carroll. Uh, unfortunately, passing away at the age of 90, a full life, to say the least, Gribbs, uh, your thoughts on the man, the myth, and arguably one of the top NFL coaches in the history of this game? Yeah, I mean, he was just a, he's a coaching legend. And, and for, for my generation growing up, it was like Don Shula is like the name. Like that's just like the, the, the greatest coach that's, that's been coaching for just, he coached forever. I mean, he did 33 seasons and then 26 uh, with the Miami Dolphins and won two Super Bowls, won an NFL championship. Uh, played with the Browns, played with a couple other teams, served in the Ohio National Guard in between. I mean, like you said, he lived a, a full life. And I think the the stat that there's two stats, I think, that will follow him for his legacy. The first one is obviously the perfect season in 1972 with the Miami Dolphins. And the second one to me is two losing seasons out of 33. I mean, that that's just incredible and, and unheard of. Uh, and so he, he, he was just the consistency in which he won. Uh, which made him just a legend and why I think his regular seasons record might be get, might get caught by Bill Belichick. The playoff one, counting postseason wins, it might be tough to catch. Yeah, listen, the guy's got the most total wins in the history as a head coach, 347, four-time coach of the year. And, and yeah, growing up, it was Don Shula, Bill Walsh, although he was a much shorter, significantly shorter time frame. But when you thought of him and you go back to, to Landry and Noel, and that's kind of, you know, he's in that ilk, but I think he's, you know, he's on the Mount Rushmore. I think if you've made a Mount Rushmore of, of NFL head coaches, he's going to be one of the four that's on there. Now, Will Brinson, a friend of the show, had a good comment that they should just name the NFL Coach of the Year award after Shula because he did, as I mentioned, win it four times, which is the most anybody's ever won it. And I think that would be a nice tribute to him. But a total icon, a legend. And like I said, you go through Mount Rushmore of greatest NFL coaches ever. I think the only two names that you're sure are on there, and then you get into debates, would be probably Don Shula, and Bill Belichick. And then after that, it's opened up to, to debate and, and you can argue for a lot of different people, but those are, those are probably the two that you're absolutely starting on there. Yeah. I, I think obviously you make the case for Paul Brown, sure. uh, but really it comes down to Belichick and it, and it comes down to, to Don Shula. Certainly in the modern era. Too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately our thoughts and our prayers are with him and his, or his family on their loss, but uh, arguably one of the top NFL coaches of all time uh, and, and did a lot for the college game, was a Cleveland Brown, uh, and of course went to high school uh, over in Painesville. So um, a guy that truly was part of Northeast Ohio and Brown's football growing up. Uh, the other news uh, on this Tuesday, and it would be the fifth year option status 
all the statuses are in now for the top 32 picks, the first round of the 2017 NFL draft. 17 out of the 32 options got picked up just over half. That means, I mean, there were a lot of guys that didn't get picked up and there are some big names that didn't get picked up, including Malik Hooker, the safety from Indianapolis, uh, John Ross, the number of guys in that top 10 who didn't get picked up is pretty stunning. When you go back and look at the 2017 NFL draft, obviously miles Garrett, David Njoku picked up by our football club, but when you take a look at this 2017 NFL draft, you look at the top 10 and go, kind of a rough top 10. You get into a you get into 10 through 20 and you go, okay, maybe a historic draft. Gribbs, uh, your thoughts on the fifth year options and the status of those guys? Yeah, I, I would just say mostly most of these were not surprises. I think there were only kind of a couple of borderline decisions. I think I think Malik Cooker qualifies as a borderline decision that that could have gone. Uh, either way, I think Jabril Peppers qualifies as a as a borderline uh, decision that the Giants had to make, and they all ultimately picked them up. Which you know, for the Browns, that's three for three from that three for three. That's class, right, folks. Which, yeah, a lot of grief. Uh, for that. Some unfortunate trivia before those three. Do we know who the last one was that we had picked up? Yeah, I would guess Joe Hayden. No, don't believe so. He he, he signed right to a long term extension. Phil Taylor. Phil Taylor okay. did not make it though to the fifth year. That's okay. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, it, it was, so there was a lot of, it, it, when you look at that top five, I mean, and those guys that weren't getting them, Trubisky, Solomon Thomas, Corey Davis, Leonard Fournette, every one of those decisions makes sense. And I don't think he, yeah, any team even really took much, lo- much thought into it. I mean, especially with Trubisky, they brought in, they traded a fourth round pick for Nick Foles to come in and, and take his job. And, I mean, Fournette's a running back. You can replace him pretty easily. Corey Davis has been kind of a disappointment. Same has gone for Solomon Thomas. You're not going to lock those guys up uh, even beyond the year. So it's just crazy. We we went into that 2017 draft thinking it was pretty loaded, uh, having those, those early picks. And lo and behold, there were some superstars there. They just weren't in the top. Yeah, four of the top five players, as you mentioned, had their options declined, but it still was a pretty good. I mean, Jamal Adams, Christian McCaffrey, Patrick Mahomes, Miles Garrett, all in the top 10. That's a pretty, the four, that four is pretty elite. It's amazing, though, looking back on it, the biggest move that draft was Ryan Pace being aggressive, moving up from three to two to make sure that he got Trubisky when, in retrospect, he could have sat there and obviously taken Trubisky or would have been able to sit there and get either Mahomes or Watson, which in, in hindsight, was were clearly the better picks, but they went 10 and 12, including one of the spots that was originally owned by the Browns. But you, you go through this one, it's interesting. The best play, I mean, this, there are, you think out of 32, there are at least eight or nine, I mean, superstars in this, maybe even more. Going from the bottom up, TJ Watt's a superstar. Tredavious White is a superstar. You go through there, are other guys that you could make the case for that are superstars, but then Watson, Lattimore, Mahomes, McCaffrey, Jamal Adams, and obviously Miles Garrett. It was a pretty good draft, top to bottom, not to mention some linemen that people are very pleased with. Ryan Ramchick down in New Orleans. Uh, There's some real talent. The one that's going to haunt us for a long time, obviously, and twice a year is the fact that TJ Watt went 31st to the Pittsburgh Steelers, one pick after we picked David Njoku, not a, a knock on David at all, but just that it ended up that the Steelers were the ones able to get T.J. Watt. 
Well, and and, and I'm, I'm going back in hindsight to that 2017 draft. I, I mean, the one that probably stuns me the most is Solomon Thomas. I mean, I think yeah. we all went into that thinking like this was the safest pick uh, of all those guys. And I, and I do think in, at the time, Corey Davis felt like a reach for the Titans at that spot. Yeah. That was like a draft for early. need pick instead of draft the best player available. Uh, and he just, it's a mix of that system where I don't know if any receivers are going to, they go to Tennessee and they, it's like, they forget how to be wide receivers. And then, but he just hasn't, he's been hurt and he just hasn't been very good. All right. So the conversation we got into on Monday on Browns daily, Leonard Fournette, Mike Williams, where do you, where did those guys settle? Because you look at some of the other guys, I mean, Trubisky's on a prove it year, Solomon Thomas, Corey Davis, more toward the bust, clearly. Uh, John Ross probably could say toward the bust line as well. But what what do you do with Mike Williams? I, I know, Zagur, you brought it up. Mike Williams had 1,000 yards receiving. He only had two touchdowns this year, but he did have 10 the year before. Uh, boom or bust, uh, which way are those two trending right now? Zagur, we'll start with you. Well, I think that you look at, at Mike Williams and he's a guy who's shown real flashes. I go back to that Sunday night game in 2018 against the Chiefs when he was he looked like a man among boys and was dominant in that huge win for the Chargers. So I think, look, they picked up his option. They're happy with him. Has he become, you know, dominant to the level they wanted? No. Some of that you have to look around and say, okay, they've got a lot of people in that passing game too. Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler out of the backfield. Uh, I think that they're pleased with the role he provides as he – as dominant as maybe people thought he would be? No, not yet. But I still think he's a good young ascending player that I wouldn't mind having on my team as my number two receiver. And then for Fournette, it's just you don't pick running backs that high. Like, I don't care how good they are. You just don't do it because people are – Jacksonville is, hates Fournette, right? They want to get rid of him. Nobody wants – the guy put up 1,600 total yards last year. Average 4.3 yards a carry. Showed much better hands out of the backfield than anybody expected. The problem is he's not a home run hitter. He's not a, he's a guy that is a little bit of a plotter. He's a big, thick back and, and obviously showed that he can't catch the ball last year, but still that's a declining asset. As we said, you drive it off and look this year, you could have picked up JK Dobbins in the second round, just like the Ravens. Did. You can always get these guys at that position. So you don't want to lock him in, especially in the top 10 pick. They're locked into a pretty high salary. If you pick up that fifth year option, and there's no re there's just no reason to make that investment. in. if he plays well and they decide they want to extend him great. But the truth is, I don't think you're going to see many running backs unless they are more of the Christian McCaffrey or Alvin Kamara of that kind of a guy that's the true dual threat and a mismatch getting second year contracts because guys who are great runners that I think watching Nick Chubb is going to be fascinating. Nick Chubb is one of the best runners in the NFL. I think he's a better catcher than people think as well. But you wonder after two more years of a lot of work and a lot of production, what's the thinking there? Do you invest that money or would you rather invest it in and pick the, the J.K. Dobbins of this year's draft out? And so that's, it's a tough position. I think it's kind of unfair, but it really is kind of the way I think that it is at that spot in the NFL right now. And I'm going to coin a term here for, for guys like Leonard Fournette. And I would put him in the same category as Derrick Henry. I, I, I would call him, a, he's a front runner. And I'm not meaning that in a negative sense, but I'm saying Leonard Fournette is way more of a valuable player to your team. If, if you good. are good. Yep. And I think you got, he is, he is someone you have to have on your team that if you are winning, and you can hand him the ball and just put games away, he's great. But if your team isn't good and you're playing from behind, he, he, he's, just, he's just an average running back. I, I mean, I just don't think there's – he can't help you in the way that a McCaffrey can. I mean, I think if you put Fournette on the Titans, 
he might be putting up numbers just as good as Derrick Henry. But it's just you got to be in the right system for him. And that's why I think that after this year, which Jacksonville will not be good, uh, and he will not be a Jaguar after this season. Yeah, no, I think we can all 100% agree Jacksonville going to do their best to not be good in 2020. Whatever that might look like from a schedule standpoint, we will talk about the schedule coming up. We'll also have a little fun. We'll try to get Gribble to blow up, have a couple nukes. Um, I, I feel like we should just turn this into an episode of our own Browns PTI between the two of you. Uh, looking forward to getting into a few more discussions as well as this podcast goes on. Right now, though, it's time for another one of our rookie spotlights. I had a chance to sit down with our new linebacker from LSU, third-round pick Jacob Phillips, a great kid, grew up in Nashville, went on to LSU after originally committing to Oklahoma. And he explains that decision and uh, a guy that is really going to help this linebacker room have a watch and have a listen while you eat and drink some arby's and happy to be joined right now on the best podcast available by our third round pick linebacker jacob phillips out of lsu originally from nashville tennessee i gotta give you your props on that but uh, we appreciate you spending a few minutes of your time my friend and uh, welcome to cleveland virtually i guess you could say uh, how has everything been for you and how big a whirlwind has it been since you got drafted uh, a little over a week ago now? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's still, I mean, uh, like a couple of days ago when it was like a week from when I got drafted, my parents came up to me and it was like, man, a week ago today, like we was getting drafted. Uh, it's still like a surreal feeling and uh, I still feel so blessed to be in this position and uh, be wearing the orange. It, it, hey, we like it. It looks good on you. It look, look, I went to high school in a, in a, with a team that whose colors were purple and, and gold, so or purple and yellow. Yeah. I understand, uh, but the brown and orange it it, it it suits you quite well. So, yes, sir. Uh, talk to me about your draft weekend and the experience. Where did you have a feeling you might go? Had you talked to the Browns in advance? And um, what happens after night one as you go into Friday, really not knowing one way or the other what was going to happen? Yeah, uh, so I talked to the Browns before, and, uh, you know, I had a kind of idea. Like, I asked them and said, uh, you know, what round y'all see me in? And uh, they said somewhere in day two, so – Going into that day, my agent hit me up and told me these are the teams that, you know, are, you know, are interested in possibly taking you today. So, you know, Browns are one of them. So, you know, I always had that in my head that I could be a Brown. And, uh, you know, just going into the third round, uh, you know, nerves was kicking in and uh, pumping up. And, uh, you know, I was just real being, you know, just real anxious to, to for a team to take me. And, uh, you know, I'm glad they took me. So what is what is that situation like? How many people did you have at your house because of the whole social distancing rule and everything in that sense? Uh, obviously a draft different than unlike anything we've ever seen before, but what was it like when you finally get to have that moment on Friday night? And it was late Friday night. Yeah. Uh, so all my close family was here that, that lives in uh, Nashville in town. Uh, my other close family relatives, they couldn't travel in, obviously, because of the whole corona thing. But, you know, having them all there to support me, you know, either way it went, 
uh, you know, and hearing, hearing all the screams and cries and, uh, you know, getting all the hugs from them after I got drafted. Uh, you know, you know I, was, I was fortunate to, you know, have them there and support me. What's it like when you're sitting there, you're watching the draft, and that telephone rings? <laughs> uh, it was crazy. So my phone rang, and uh, it was Katie from the Browns, and she called me, and uh, she told me that uh, the, the GM, uh, he wants to get on a Zoom call with me, so I'm going to send you a Zoom link. So I got off that, and then I got on the Zoom call, and I was head coach, GM, it was uh, owner, everybody. And, you know, they were just excited to tell me that, you know, I'm going to be a Brown, and uh, you know, that I'm gonna get to work. What was the decision like to leave school early? Uh, you you made the decision to come out after your junior year. Now, you, from a football standpoint, you're on top of the world. You're national champions, yeah. undefeated. You can't ask for anything more. But um, what was that decision like with you and your family as you, as you got close enough to make that call? Uh, yeah, so I talked it over with my family and. And we just feel like that was the best decision for me, uh, for my future, just taking that next step, uh, you know, trying to conquer new things in the NFL and, you know, winning that championship. And, uh, you know, obviously that was uh, important. But, uh, you know, I always kind of had like an idea in my head that, you know, maybe this might be the year. And, uh, you know, I felt like, uh, you know, I made the right decision. When did you think or, or when did it click for you that you – came to the realization I might be able to play in the national football league that I'm that I've, I had that I had a game or I had a performance or something that stood out to you where you said, I, I think I could might probably do this at the next level. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I probably just going through like little league and middle school and all, all those different chapters. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I was one of the better players there, but in high school, like getting so heavily recruited and picking LSU, uh, you know, most of the time, you know, if you go to a school like that, you, uh, you know, it's, it's in your future that you will be in the NFL sometimes. So, you know, going there and then, uh, you know, playing, playing my years I did there and, uh, you know, doing the things I did. So I feel like it's just like a whole, like, uh, just like a sum of like all my life, basically just playing football and just enjoying it. That's all it is. You just got to enjoy what you do. So. Amen to that. Jacob Phillips joins us, our third-round pick at linebacker out of LSU. Happy to have him here and happy to be a Cleveland Brown indeed. Um, in high school, you played, if I get this, I, I, want, I want to shortchange you here, running mm -hmm. back, fullback, tight end, linebacker. Do I have them all in high school? Yes, Is that sir. all you played? Yes, sir. That's all I played. <laughs> all right. So what – what was the favorite position to play in high school? Definitely, definitely linebacker. Uh, you know, even as a kid, when I was a little league, most of the times I was too heavy to play, like, you know, off the ball. So I had to play, like, DN or something like that, or tight end. And, uh, you know, I just always be so mad because I couldn't play linebacker. But, uh, you know, just growing up, that's always one I wanted to be. I always had, you know, Ray Lewis, and I wanted to be just like him. So, uh you know, seeing all seeing all my idols play linebacker is just kind of just gave me the fuel. All right, so you're being recruited. You go through that whole process, uh, Mr. Football in Tennessee, correct? Yeah. 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 Okay. So everybody's <laughs> knocking on your door. You you verbally, it's a verbal commitment to Oklahoma, and then you end up changing to LSU. What made uh, what made LSU become the front runner for you? 
Uh, you know, LSU wasn't even in the mix for me. Uh, most of the time, well, throughout my whole recruit, uh, recruitment process, uh, you know, I wanted to make my decision before, uh, before like, you know, even it be even close to National Honor Day. So I took um, five of my officials, and then uh, you know I chose Oklahoma, and I was dead set on that. But you know, towards the end of the year, about a month away from signing day, I just decided to uh, take an unofficial to LSU, and I went down there and talked to Coach O and Coach Miranda, and you know. I feel like they were just, uh, you know, they, they they explained, you know, what could happen. Like, we could all come, we could win it as a championship. Uh, you could go in the NFL and, you know, begin your life towards that direction. But, uh, you know, I'm glad that I, I chose to go to LSU. You know, even though I loved Oklahoma and everything about it, uh, you know, it's just for, like, that was the right decision at the time. And, uh, I took it. All right, so you leave Nashville and you end up in Louisiana, in the heart of Louisiana. Uh, what was it like to play for Coach O? Oh, it was great. Uh, coach O, he's a, player, he's a player's coach. So, uh, you know, practices were like NFL practice, uh, meetings and expectations were like NFL. So, you know, I think that's what helped us a lot this year, you know, keeping our body fresh and uh, keeping them like our mental and like putting a, a demand on us really, like how they do in the NFL uh, in college. So I feel like we were ahead of the curve, uh, which is probably one of the reasons we were 15-0. And, uh, you know, just even the state of, like, just competing against everybody at LSU, uh, you know, it's a real, you know, it's a real dog-type type atmosphere and team. So, you know, you, you really got to bring it out every single day, practice, uh, or just even in the weight room, like, regardless of the situation. All right. So you get to college, you get to LSU, and if, if I'm correct, did you play right away? You didn't redshirt, did you? No, no, so I, I played yeah, what's that like getting thrown into the SEC mix right away from day one as a freshman? Here's the, welcome to the gauntlet. Here's Nick Saban <laughs> and company, and you know, going all the way down the, the list of teams in the SEC and and how good that conference was. Um, I, I would think that you have to grow up pretty quickly as an 18, 19 year old there. Yeah, yeah, definitely have to grow up uh, very fast. And, uh, you know, basically you have to prioritize, uh, you know, what you want. So, you know, that's that's trying to learn the playbook even more than, you know, other people, the older dudes, they might not have to take notes, but, like, you probably have to. So, uh, or getting your body right, the older dudes might be able to eat this, but you probably have to do this. So uh, it, it took a lot, but, you know, uh, I'm very grateful for that experience. I'm grateful for, uh, you know, having played early and gotten those reps because in my sophomore year, uh, starting every game and in my junior year. So, you know, I think it was needed. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I, I got the opportunity. What was it like to go up every day and practice against a guy like Joe Burrow? And that, not just Joe Burrow, but that entire offense was loaded. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I feel like we brought the best out of both sides, uh, you know, throughout fall camp, scrimmaging in them. And, uh, you know, even practice when we have our competition days, uh, you know, I think individually, you know, running backs against linebackers and receivers against DBs and, you know, the whole team against uh, the offense. So I feel like we brought the best out of each other. You know, we Coach O used to tell us that the best offense we're going to face uh, week in and week out is the offense that we face in practice. So, you know, I feel like we that was true. And I feel like uh, the same was for the defense. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that we, we had a good team and uh, we can make each other better. What was that championship game experience like to, to be able to, to end your college career hoisting the national championship trophy? 
Uh, it was an amazing feeling. Uh, you know, as a kid, you always dream of that moment, but, you know, only one team can do it. So, and there's so many teams. So, you, I mean, you probably just like, oh, it probably won't happen. But, you know, to have worked that hard and to put in all the dedication that we did and to go 15 and over, really, uh, you know, it was just, I feel like we did a tremendous job and, uh, you know, we'll be, we'll be in history at LSU forever. So you get drafted by the Browns. You come to Cleveland virtually, and I believe there will be a, a, a rookie mini camp here this weekend, and then you'll start getting acclimated with the veterans. Have you been in touch with guys in, in, your, uh, in your linebacker room to this point? Has anybody reached out? To, even though he's an Alabama guy, Mac Wilson reached out to you. Are you on yeah. good speaking terms? Yeah, yeah. Mac we reached out, and uh, we talk all the time. So, uh, you know, I feel like we'll be great, you know, playing, playing with each other. And, uh, you know, I feel like he can really you know, take me under his wing. And, you know, even though he's only been there for a year, but show me all the things that, you know, I don't know. This has become kind of LSU of the North uh, in, in terms of the players that, that are up here. Have any of the other uh, LSU alums reached out to you that are on this football team? Oh, uh, yeah. Greedy had posted a picture of me. And, uh, you know, I still got, I still got to talk to him. Uh, but, you know, I, we LSU dudes, they are close to each other. And, you know, I, I know that you know, I can't wait to get to work with them because I know what they bring to the table. And uh, I feel like we're going to be – we'll have a really good team. When you take a look uh, at the transition, it, it can be a difficult one to the National Football League. But coming in with a guy – that you played with on the defensive side of the football and Grant Delpit. What what did Grant do from a defensive standpoint when you were at LSU to kind of help you guys on the backside? Oh, uh, you know, Grant was a dependable player. Uh, you know, sometimes he would play in the box beside us and uh, sometimes he would play back deep. So, you know, I, I know that Grant brings a lot of positive things to the team and, uh, you know, I know he's going to be successful. What are your biggest goals here in your rookie year? I mean, it's it's a lot to expect for a rookie to transition into the National Football League, but then you get thrown this curveball that's going on and, you know, not being able to practice with your teammates right now. What are your goals in the, in this 2020 football season? Uh, you know, I feel, like, I feel like goals kind of limit you. Uh, you know, obviously I have aspirations and things that I want to do, but – you know, I have an open mind on, you know, whatever guy's going to bless me with. And, you know, hopefully that success, team success, you know, winning the Super Bowl or at least making it to the playoffs and, uh, you know, doing well there. But then uh, also individually, you know, I want to I wanna bring everything that I can to the defense and, uh, you know, have them be able to, uh, you know, basically rely upon me to do my job and uh, to help the defense. All right, what is your go-to food? If you if you can only eat one meal, what is your go-to food? Go-to food? Uh, it probably had to be wings. I love wings, but if, uh, you know, speaking of LSU, if it, if it had to be uh, some type of Cajun food, it'd probably be, uh, mm, it'd probably be uh, charbroil oysters. I love those too. Really? Yeah. Now, and I'm yeah. assuming you hadn't had those prior to going to LSU. No, I had none of that stuff. The king cake, the oysters, the crawfish, uh, basically anything you can have, the gumbo, etouffee, uh, all that stuff is amazing food, and I'm going to miss it. <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's some good eats down, down there. That is 100% for sure. We have plenty of wing That's places. Right. And, I mean, there are some fantastic little hole-in-the-walls that do some fantastic yeah. wings. So, 
life will be good minus the dietitian telling you what you can or can't oh, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously, we got to play by those rules, but uh, yeah, yeah. obviously looking forward to sending you some of those great hotspots here. Once we get you up here, uh, we appreciate the time. We wish you all the best of luck. Good luck in the virtual off season. And we look forward to seeing you in a Browns uniform at a position that, you know, you can, you can make some strides and I think you can be a pretty big impact player here. So we we're rooting for you and we appreciate your time today. Wish you all the best of luck here and hope you and your family stay safe through all this. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. I want to thank Jacob Phillips for his time. Uh, definitely a fascinating young man, Mr. Football in Tennessee. Nathan, I know uh, you've done some video work with him as well in your working from home series. Uh, your impressions of the gentleman from LSU who is now a Cleveland Brown. I think he just embodies what, you know, Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry said they want tough, smart, accountable football players and people with strong work ethics. And he's, he, I asked him, you know, what, what's your style? And he goes, I want to be the most dependable guy on the field that there's like, whatever Jacob Phillips is supposed to be doing, he's going to do it. And we don't have to worry about that. We can worry about anything else. And so I think he wants to work hard. He wants to learn this all uh, and get out there, but a kid that wants to be dependable and reliable and certainly as a tackler last year, he was just that, right? I mean, a hundred, what do you have? 113 tackles, only three missed tackles, led the SEC in tackling. So uh, that's, I liked him. I was very impressed with him. Definitely a hard worker, excited to do whatever he has to do to contribute to this football team. Has relationships, obviously, with two other guys on the defense and Greedy and, and Grant Delpit and obviously knows the, the legends at, uh, at, on LSU and Odell and Jarvis and said they've all been talking and, and a close relationship with Mac Wilson as well which I found pretty interesting. Two guys who are big time, you know, recruits out of high school end up in the SEC together. And uh, he always emulated and looked up to Mac, he said, and they talked for quite a bit after the draft. And he loves being in the room with him because Mac's trying to help him out as much as he can. Gribbs, uh, you take a look at our linebacker room. I mean, Phillips is a kid that played freshman year at LSU and had some success right from the get-go. Um, a lot expected of him, but still with a third round grade, uh, probably more of a chance to develop under and behind the guys that are currently in that room. Yeah, he's right in that in-between zone where you'd say good training camp, then he might be playing pretty uh, a lot. But at the same time, it's like Taki Taki last year. If he doesn't get on the field, it's not the worst thing uh, in the world. So I, I think there is definitely, I would say Phillips has more opportunity to get on the field this year than maybe Taki Taki had last year. Yeah. So it, it, it's going to be a young group no matter what. I think the two guys that I would say you could pencil in for sure probably are BJ Goodson and Mac Wilson. I think they were going to have some kind of role this year. And then I think it's up for grabs between a lot of other uh, young players. And we'll, we'll see there's, there's always room for potentially more to add to this roster uh, in the coming weeks and months. So uh, definitely probably not done adding to that group, but uh, no matter what, it's, it's going to skew young uh, when you get to the season. Yeah, no question about it. All right. Well, anyways, we appreciate his time. Wish him all the best of luck. It, it is just tough right now for rookies. Everything's virtual. You know, there's no, there's nothing in person. There's no OTAs. There's no rookie mini camp. There's no mandatory mini camp for vets and rookies in June. Right now, there's nothing except virtual learning. So here's hoping that uh, he picks up that playbook as quickly as he picked up the one at LSU. All right, moving on, overall big picture, NFL draft winners and losers from the trade market. I, I would love to say that I came up with this on my own. I did not. Uh, I saw it in Peter King's column. I thought it would be fun for us to go through and talk about some of the winners and the losers. And, and you guys tell me who won 
which particular trade as we go through some of the bigger ones in this draft and leading up to this draft. Uh, the DeForest Buckner trade, we'll start off with that. Uh, a team near and dear to Zagura's heart, the 49ers, trading Buckner to Indianapolis for a first-round pick, the 13th overall. The Colts uh, get a top-three NFL defensive tackle and paid Buckner like one, four years, $84 million. San Fran, after trading down one spot in the first-round first pick, defensive tackle Javon Kinlaw. Zagura, since the 49ers are your second team, That's right. I'll let you go first. Well, I think if you're looking today, you say the Colts win because they got a, a great player in DeForest Buckner. You know what he's got, what he is. If, the, if Javon Kinlaw is as good as a lot of people thought he was going to become in this draft, then the Niners just pulled off a, a magical move in the sense that they replaced the guy that they feel has similar talent, similar upside, but is going to be compensated like a rookie for the next four, maybe five years, as opposed to shelling out this money because they're going to have to pay, and they know it. Kittle's coming up. They're going to have to pay, you know, Nick Bosa in the future. So they had decisions that they had to make, and they decided we can save money, put that to other guys we know we want to keep more than Buckner, nothing against him, but and get a guy that we think might be just as good replacing him. So if Kinlaw is what he's supposed to be, the Niners win it in a landslide. I think it's one of those, it's a win-win. The Colts go, they got Phillip Rivers, they're going after it, and they got a player who can immediately come in and play at an all-pro level. Gribble. I'm going to agree with you, but I'm going to take this one step further. I, I think that even if Kinlaw's average, I think the 49ers won this trade. I, I just don't the, – the, the price – you had to know the 49ers weren't, were not in a position to keep this guy. And I think that giving up a, a high draft pick, I mean, a first yeah. half of the draft draft pick to get a guy in and then pay him a ton of money, I, I just I, – I, th I thought – I couldn't believe that trade. And it just seemed so unlike what the Colts have done in these last few years – uh, with Chris Ballard as their GM, I was I was surprised by it, and I think that obviously the Colts are going to be better because of it in 2020. But I just I don't I don't like parting with a first round pick to get a guy that I then have to pay a ton of money to. I I just don't I didn't understand that trade, and I think that I think Buckner's a really good player, but I and I get that he's probably I would I'd say the odds are safe he'll be a better player than Javon Kinlaw will be because that's a lot of pressure on Kinlaw, but that, that's a big asset to part with with a team that really. I didn't think the 49ers had that much leverage. Yeah, and the flip side of it is the Colts could have just stayed right there, spent that money on free agents, and just drafted Kinlaw themselves. Right. I I, I thought it was – yeah. I mean, I thought what the 49ers paid to get D4 the previous year with it was like a second-round pick, That that's the most. I mean, look what the Browns had to give up to get Jarvis Landry. I mean, like a, a future fourth and a seventh. Like that's right. For, for teams that are in a position to not sign these guys. I mean, first-round pick was a lot, especially a high first-round pick. Wait till we to get to the Tannehill trade. Think about what the Tennessee Titans gave up to get there. What looks like a, maybe a franchise quarterback. Let's get to that. Nice tease, Zagura. The Minka Fitzpatrick, Ryan Tannehill intertwined trades. Gribble, you'll lead this one off. In 2019, Miami traded Tannehill in a sixth round pick to Tennessee for a fourth round in 2020 and a seventh in 2019. Miami traded safety Minka Fitzpatrick and Tennessee's fourth-round pick this year to Pittsburgh for first and fifth-round picks this year and a sixth-round pick next year. There'll be a quiz after I get done getting through this. Miami got the player who better be their left tackle of the future, USC's Austin Jackson and a fifth-round defensive end. Tennessee got Tannehill and a backup linebacker. Pittsburgh got Fitzpatrick and a guard from Louisiana in Kevin Dotson. 
Gribble, Miami, Tennessee, Pittsburgh. Who won? Who lost of these three? Uh, I, I'm going to go with Pittsburgh won the trade, and I think the Dolphins lost the trade. I, ju- I just I don't understand how when you're rebuilding the team, why why are you not rebuilding with the guy with a two, a second year safety who could be really really good? And I, I just who apparently has all the high character that you want in a player has been everything for the Steelers. He completely transformed the Steelers defense into one of the best in the NFL. And I just, I mean, I, I assume Austin Jackson will be good, but they could have gotten another tackle without that pick. So I, I just think, I think the Steelers won that trade because they got an all pro safety for a first round pick that would not have produced an all pro safety as young as Minka Fitzpatrick. And I think that the Titans, I mean, it, it's, it's some good circumstances, but they didn't exactly reinvent the wheel with that kind of acquisition. I mean, that, that was, I mean, that was, that was a basic, uh, they got lucky with a guy that, that could be pretty good next year. Maybe he won't be. The Titans won the trade because they get a, they get a guy that they think, I mean, they, what, 90 million guaranteed. They think he just took him to the AFC championship game, played as well as any quarterback in the league, and they gave a fourth and a seventh. So just from the quarterback value standpoint, if Tannehill is good, and it is an if, let me go, and I'm a big Ryan Tannehill guy. I think he was very, very good last year. But just to get, you can't get quarterbacks for that. I mean, you can get position players for that. You can't get a quarterback for that, let alone a $90 million man for a fourth and a seventh. Big deal. They win. Pittsburgh wins number two. They're in a class all themselves. And then the Dolphins lose this trade so badly. Basically, the Dolphins got Austin Jackson for Minka Fitzpatrick and Ryan Tannehill. That's not a good trade. That's not a good trade. No matter, even if if he ends up being the next Joe Thomas, that's not a good trade. So Dolphins lose. Everybody else wins. Yeah, I, w- I would say the risk factor on the Steelers' end makes me – that's why I picked them because they were 0-2 and Roethlisberger was hurt when they made that trade. I mean, they, they put it all on the line on the, on the shoulders of Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges to get that pick to where it would be 18th when it could have been a top-five pick. Could have been top-five. They could have had four and five. Minka Fitzpatrick, almost along with the rest of that defense, which played great, turned that into a later pick than it, than it would have otherwise been. And, and that's where – Again, that's where things get a little bit dicey, but the, yeah, the Dolphins, the net net of it is not good for them. At the time, a little too too obsessed with assets. At the time, it could have been good. If it ends up being a fourth pick, like for the Browns, when we made that trade and then end up getting Denzel Ward and Baker in the same draft, you know, then you look at it a little bit differently. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. And Minka Fitzpatrick, by the way, is young and is a star. I mean, I I love that pick. I loved him in Alabama. I wanted him to come to the Browns. I don't understand why you just give him away. And what were you going to hope to get? Like replace him with somebody that you thought was just as good as him? I don't know. I, I just didn't make a lot of sense. I think they were doing it. They had given up on Tannehill. Turns out maybe Gase was more the problem because everybody, as soon as he leaves, Tannehill blows up. Drake gets out of there. He blows up. Devontae Parker blows up. So maybe they just evaluated a lot of stuff poorly down there. Yeah. All right, Zagura, you kick us off on this like one. That. You like that? The, the Montes- you tacos? Is that what you were doing there? <laughs> The Montez, I knew you'd find a way to work it in. Indianapolis traded its first round pick in 2019 to Washington for second round picks in 19 and 20. The Colts turned the 22nd rounder into into second and fifth round picks. Washington got sweat. Indianapolis got USC wideout Michael Pittman this year, plus a defensive end and a corner last year. Montez sweat trade, winner or loser? Uh, and which team is a girl? Well, I'm pulling up right now. I'm trying to look at his stats as a rookie, Montez Sweat. And so 
I'm guessing where it is here, right here. He had seven sacks as a rookie. That's pretty good. Two forced fumbles. So you think he's a long-term edge rusher compliment on the other side of Chase Young. So you feel like you got a long-term edge rusher in him. Now, I don't know that anybody likes a player in this draft as much as Frank Reich seems to like Michael Pittman. So from the Colts standpoint, they're probably thrilled to have Michael Pittman. Uh, this is, a, this is a, I think it's, this is a too early to call. I think if Montez Sweat ends up being an eight-plus sack guy, you know, for his career, then they're going to win the trade. But Pittman could end up being a 1,200-yard, 12-touchdown receiver. I think this one's – it's too early to call because they're both still the prospects and, and developing in my mind. Grable. Yeah, I'm glad you got that one first because that would have been my, my answer too. I, I think probably the Redskins end up winning this be, if Montez Sweat stays healthy. Because remember in that draft, he was supposed to go a lot higher. Yeah, uh, but then there was the issue with the medical, but it's it seems like everything's okay, so they got some value there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, pass rushers can come and go. I mean, I, I I'll I'll take the my gamble on a pass rusher because Colts probably could have gotten a wide receiver at some point in this draft. It was pretty loaded, no matter what. So uh, I'll side with the Redskins for now. All right, next up, uh, I, I don't even we don't even need to talk about the DeAndre Hopkins trade. I, I think we can all agree. Yep. No matter what Ross Blacklock might develop into, um, Arizona won the trade. Hands down, we'll just move on to the As next. As of today, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Rob Gronkowski trade. Patriots trading Gronk and a seventh rounder to Tampa for a fourth rounder. The Patriots packaged that fourth round pick to the Raiders in a larger deal for a third. New England got a tight end from UCLA with a 91st overall pick as the main piece. Tampa got Gronk and a linebacker. Gribble, who won this trade? Who lost? Uh, I would go with the Patriots won the trade because they went from having zero tight ends to one tight end. That uh, I would say, if I could trade zero tight ends for a tight end, that, that that's a win for me. Gronkowski okay. wasn't going to play for the Patriots. To get a fourth-round pick out of it that you turn into a third, it's a win for me. Yeah, a lot of people like Devin Asiasi, so we'll see what he becomes. I think they both win. The Buccaneers get Rob Gronkowski for a fourth-round pick to play with Tom Brady. That's pretty good. Their goal is to win a Super Bowl this year, certainly to go to the playoffs. Oh, come on down, Gronk. Yes, it's spectacular. But the Patriots get, as you said, something for nothing. There was an asset that was gone, and now it was back, and it turns into a, a, a player, and maybe he'll be good. But I think they both win. It's ideal for both sides. Does Tampa have any three tight end sets to get Gronk on the field this year? Yeah, they're going to have to figure out. He's been, look, Cameron Brake might get bumped out of the rotation group. Sorry. <laughs> All right, next up, the Khalil Mack trade. Uh, and this is an interesting one. Chicago traded the first and sixth round pick in 19 and first and third round picks in 20 for Khalil Mack, his second and seventh round pick in 20. So Chicago got Mack, tight end Cole Kmet, and a guard. Las Vegas got running back Josh Jacobs, uh, a tight end, and Foster Moreau, not in that exact draft slot because the pick was traded back twice more, uh, a corner and Damon Arnett, and wideout Brian Edwards. Zagura, who won the trade? This one, I think it, it, it's too early to tell. I think initially, obviously, the Bears won the trade. Khalil Mack came in, made a massive impact on that Chicago team. You have two guys that are pretty much projections in the sense that Damon Arnett's very, very talented from Ohio State. Brian Edwards, a lot of people thought was maybe a first-round talent, but was injured and couldn't run. And so they do they get a good value on him? Time will tell. I mean, in, in reality, could end up being three number one type of talents in Jacobs, uh, in Arnett, and Brian Edwards. 
I would wish the Bears – and maybe Cole Komet's going to be great. Maybe he will be. But I think a lot of people wish the Bears maybe did something more with that second-round pick from the trade to, to even it out. But this will be – it depends on what the, the Raiders guys become. But Khalil Mack certainly is the most impactful player in this entire group and plays the most important position of anybody in this group. Yeah, I'm ready to rule this in favor of the Bears. I just I, – I'm, I, I don't believe in these four quarters for a dollar trade which I think is, is kind of what staple of fantasy football. What? It's a staple of fantasy football, the four quarters for a dollar. I'll give yeah. You these and I, I, I get Josh, Josh Jacobs is really good. Yes. Uh, Damon Arnett. Most people did not like that pick, but I mean, he, he still, it's not fair to even judge him yet, but Khalil Mack is a, a I would say I, I toss this around lightly. He's a generational pass rusher, a generational defender. He, he's really good. And he, he's a franchise changing player. He nearly, he nearly took them to the, to the Super Bowl. I think if, if the league were disbanded and drafted in a fantasy draft, Khalil Mack is probably going in the top half of the first round. That's with quarterbacks being included. Right. No, none of these guys are going in the first three rounds in a draft. That's why no. it's, it, it, you're, you're put, you're stacking the odds against yourself because it's, it's really easy to make these trades and get, get these assets, but then to turn those into like great players, it's tough. Like it's, Guys, you're, right. you're, you're, you got, you got to hit on, you got to not only hit on some of these players, but hit on them like really well. And I think they got, they hit, I think they got more value out of Josh Jacobs than they might've anticipated in year one, but it's a, it's a wait and see on the rest of these guys. All right, final one. This, again, compliments of Peter King and Football Morning in America. Appreciate the, uh, the, the material for today's best podcast available. The Stefan Diggs trade gribs. Buffalo traded a first, a fifth, and a sixth, and a fourth rounder next year to Minnesota for wide receiver Stefan Diggs and a seventh round pick. Buffalo gets Diggs. Minnesota got Diggs replacement. LSU wide out Justin Jefferson with the 22nd pick in the draft and traded the other two picks for fourth and fifth round picks next year. Gribbs, who won this trade today? I mean, I, I don't know what to say. Cause like, I think that I, I think the bills will have a better player ultimately than, than what the Vikings will get. I just think that they still overpaid. I, I just didn't think that a, a first round pick was maybe necessary in this kind of trade. Uh, I think that, the Vikings might be a better team overall after this, but I think the Bills got a better player. So I, I, I'm, I'm calling it a draw at this point. I just can't uh, – I didn't love the trade because I just thought it was too much, especially when DeAndre Hopkins went a day before for, for so much less. And I, I, I'll be interested to see how Diggs does in his environment because, like I mentioned with Tennessee earlier, Buffalo is a place that, that doesn't exactly bring the best out of some of these wide receivers, and, and we'll see how he, he fares with Josh Allen. You got to go back to the days of Eric Molds and Andre Reed to get some good Bills wide receivers. So this is going to be, I think, our Steve Johnson when he, he was the only person who could solve Revis Island. But I think from your the point you just made, from the value proposition of the DeAndre Hopkins trade in this trade, the Bills lost it. From the fact that this was one of the most historic wide receiver drafts, they could just stay there and take in a receiver because they're going to have to pay Stephon Diggs. And the receiver would be a rookie. So I think I would – I think the Bills lost it from a strategic standpoint. I think that when they step on the field week one, Stephon Diggs will be a better player than Justin Jefferson. Will he long-term? I don't know. I think Justin Jefferson's pretty darn good. I do think, though, they're trying to say, Brady's gone. Let's win the AFC East this year. Let's get this guy in here, and, and let's go. I, I don't know how I feel about Stephon Diggs as a true number one receiver either. 
I don't I don't know if it, it was more of a product of a dynamic duo in Minnesota. Or I'll be well, interested gonna, to see him care, really carry the load in Buffalo. What they're going to hope is that Josh Allen's athleticism stresses defenses, obviously Singletary in the ground game, but that John Brown's speed, mm-hmm. and John Brown had a very nice year last year, opens up the, the crossing routes and all the things that Stephon Diggs does very, very well. The problem is, and he's going to learn this, Josh Allen, while very good, and you have to respect what he did last year, is not going to be as precise with the football as Kirk Cousins was. And for a guy that does a lot of his best work, catching in stride, making plays after, you wonder how that's going to impact him. The, the body language police will be out in full force. Oh, yeah. With Stephon uh, some Diggs of those throws. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe as early as the preseason. Yeah. For that. Let's hope we have them. Yeah. Well, yeah, if we have one. All right. So those are the draft winners and losers, draft trades. All right. Let's have a little fun. Which contract would you rather have? Teddy Bridgewater, Ryan Tannehill, Tom Brady, or Drew Brees? Gribble, we will start with you because I can see Zagura. I'm going to need some numbers here. Can, I, didn't, I don't feel like I was prepped pre-show for, for these. Bridgewater's basically like three years, 63, 40 guaranteed. Tannehill's over 90 guaranteed. And Brady and Brees are making a ton of money, but they're Brady and Brees. Bree's got two years, fifty million. Brady, uh, I'll go with. I'm going to rank this, and, and I'm going to surprise you with this. I'm going to rank it. Breeze. for the contracts I'd, I'd I would much prefer. I'm ranking it. Breeze, Brady, Bridgewater, Tannehill. I, I think that the those were some bigger numbers than I would have liked for two guys that I don't know if I can bank on them. Like I just, I, I think Bridgewater and, and Tannehill have had good individual time seasons, but nothing that tell that nothing that tells me that my quarterback position is fully settled. Like I'm not take I, I can't take the Panthers out of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes next year, just cause I got Teddy Bridgewater. And I, with Tannehill, I, that's, he was fine last year. I, I, I think he was, He's okay. I think he, he won games for them. I, I just, I, I don't know if I can bank on it long-term. Breeze and Brady, those are short deals. You know what you're going to get, and I, you have quick escapes with both of those. That's why I like those better. I think, uh, I think all four of them are fine, but if you're looking at it from the Breeze, the Breeze-Brady perspective, you know who they are, and yeah. you're getting, as you said, short deals. The Bridgewater deal, they could get out in two years, no problem, uh, and it's significantly cheaper than Tannehill. Tannehill is probably the most expensive on a year – Per year, 90, certainly the highest guaranteed dollars going to Ryan Tannehill. And yeah, he looked, he was great. He was incredibly efficient. That's tough to be. I feel much better if I'm Carolina with Teddy. I think that he fits what, they, what they've done from a personnel standpoint very well, obviously. Sean Payton couldn't say enough good things about him. The Saints loved him. So I think he's going to be fine. I, Tannehill, there's a lot riding on Ryan Tannehill will be under immense pressure. Little, this year. little, uh, the deal's a little Osweiler ish. I'm it's a, little... a lot of pressure and it's not a situation where yeah AJ Brown AJ Brown turned out to be really really good last year Johnu Smith is a nice tight end but it's still a team that doesn't have you know those dynamic playmakers and it's still a team that's going to be centered around you know making plays when they're there but Derrick Henry for as, as long as they can keep you know running the football with him so would I rather if I was the t- Titans I would feel just as good if I had Bridgewater and knowing that I had 40 million into him instead of 90 I'd feel just as good about my chances to go back to the AFC championship game that question did not get answered the way I was hoping. I was really hoping. Hey, it's for, a short, short deal. That, that's all the NFL is about. Yeah. They can, I, they can escape. Yeah, I understand. All right. 
Here's hoping this one spurs a little bit more. Which backup quarterback would you rather have? Cam Newton, because when he signs, he's going to be a backup somewhere. Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, or Andy Dalton? Zagura, you're, you're itching. I'll let you go. First of all, the fact that Cam Newton's not going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL this year, if that actually comes to pass, is outrageous. It's absurd. Who's he to, who's he, who's, it's, it's bonkers. If, if someone nuts. signs him, you're telling me that he's immediately going to Play. No, no, I'm saying it, it's crazy. The fact that the Bears didn't get him, and, and I'm sure it has something to do with what's going on and evaluating him from a health standpoint, but I would have waited for that. I don't think I needed to pull the trigger on Nick Foles. Uh, that's just me. I, I don't think, you know, if I'm the Chargers and I'm really committed to sitting Justin Herbert this year, I, I'd much rather, and Terod's a great guy. We had him here. I'd much rather have Cam Newton there because I think there's talent on offense and defense that's plus down there with the Chargers, and you need a draw. You're in L.A. If I'm the Patriots, of course I want Cam Newton. If I'm the Jags, I want Cam Newton, but I'm the Jags aren't trying to win per se. So I think that would mess with their plans. If I'm the Redskins, even Rot Riverboat Ron, I th I'm thinking about it. But no, he's going to be a backup. He's going to be expensive. I wonder from how he would handle being a backup. So I think the e it's easy for me on here. Uh, and my number, my order might actually surprise you. I would say Jameis first, Mariota second. Because I think he'll be a, just a consummate pro backup. Uh, Cam third and Dalton fourth. Dalton's fine. Dalton's fine, but he's costing me seven million. Jameis at one million dollars to go basically to quarterback university. Tremendous. What a value. Gribble. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna go into this assuming that Cam is 100 percent healthy because, like you said, it doesn't make sense that he hasn't signed anywhere. So I'm just gonna assume he's healthy. So I'm gonna put him last. So then I'm ranking him the best, who I think is best and who I think is worst. So I'll go Andy Dalton one. Jameis Winston two, Mariota three. Those are the the chances that to help me win games. I I I was it was a little late for me on Saturday. It was probably like eight thirty, so I was getting close to bedtime on Saturday when, when that Andy Dalton news dropped. I, I was stunned. I just I couldn't believe it, and I I, yeah. I did like make sure it wasn't a, a darn Schefter or someone else that was putting out the news. And I I mean I just think. It, I, I think I'm just alone here on Andy Dalton Island thinking that this guy's like pretty good. And I, I would think he would be just fine coming in and, and winning you some games. I'm still stunned. The Patriots hadn't had no interest in him. Me too. I, I think it, it, it's wild. That's going to be one of the great storylines of the season that, that Jared Stidham is they're They're locked in They're They're ready to go. And I, I talked to somebody who knows the McCourty's very, very well. And they're, like that this is what we're this isn't a joke this is they really think jared they were they knew tom was leaving they thought jared Stidham was is the answer they believe he's the answer and and he's going to get the chance to be the answer but the dalton one was interesting and what i meant more from and i guess i wasn't thinking about it but if i was the cowboys i probably would rather have Mariota as my backup than dalton because i just think he's such a good a model guy not that dalton isn't I just think that if they sign Mariota, you're not getting kind of the reaction that you got. And that, does the reaction matter? I don't know. I don't know if it actually is going to impact anything with Dak, but that signing and the reaction that it generated it would have been different if it was Mariota, I think. I just don't think people have seen him. He lost his job to Tannehill. Nobody's, he's not as threatening, per se, as Dalton. And I think that's Dalton's why I better. wonder if, if, if is a team just going to go out and sign Cam as a backup? That's what I'm saying. Like, do you want that? I mean, that's that's where it becomes – of those four, Cam is going to draw the most headlines that you don't want. Not that he's a bad guy. It's more like, oh, Cam's on the bench. He could probably do better than this guy that's starting. Like, I think that's the that's the thing you'd have to worry about. But if, if you truly tune out the noise, then you get him in there because he's he's if he's healthy, he's a top-20 quarterback. Yeah. 
All right, gentlemen. Interesting takes from both of you there. It'll be it will be interesting to see how the Dalton situation plays out. Because if you're Dallas, do you have to move off of the number that you're offering Dak Prescott right now, knowing that Dalton is still there and Dalton has a couple of years left on that deal? If you think Dak Prescott's your guy, you make him the offer that says, I believe that you're my guy and we're going long term. No. And if you don't, then you don't. But Dak Prescott, he can sit there and get franchise and franchise and make all the money the Kirk Cousins way. He's got no pressure on him whatsoever in terms of taking a deal that he doesn't like. None. And if the salary cap goes up and up and up, none. I think Dak Prescott's in a much better position than the Cowboys, and perhaps this was a sign that they that they know that and they wanted to have an insurance policy. Not to mention, and we talked about this a little bit on Browns Daily yesterday, but we don't know what's going on with coronavirus, et cetera. We don't know what's going. So let's say let's say Dak Prescott or your your team's quarterback does test positive. Are they quarantined for two weeks? I mean, this year it might be more important than ever to have a backup that you feel pretty good about being able to step in there and play because they might play for a reason different than they would have ever played in the past in the NFL. Yeah, I, I think it's something that bears watching, especially when you look at who are backing up some of the franchise elite quarterbacks, <coughs> excuse me, in the National Football League. All right, at some point this week, we think the NFL schedule is going to come out. Obviously, we're, there are no international games. Those have been canceled by the league. So everybody's going to stay stateside and there will be nothing internationally in 2020. A quick prediction from both of you on how many primetime games the Cleveland Browns will have when the schedule comes out. Zagura, care to explain yourself? Three, Thursday night, Monday night, and I think we will get one Sunday night game, whether it's Baker versus Burrow or us against the Ravens. I think we'll get three ultimately, but I don't think we'll get more than that. We could get two, but I still think you, Baker, Odell, Jarvis, Miles, I think we'll get three. So would you count a Thanksgiving game as primetime? Yes. yes. Even yes. if it's an afternoon game? Yeah, yes. that's a national. It's that's by a national itself. It's by itself. Uh, yeah, then I'll I'll probably go with three in a traditional schedule setting, but I'm 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 open minded to getting weird if the if the the way this schedule gets met, moved around with all the the loose ends. Like let's get let's get football on TV every day of the week. Like let's let's figure out. I mean, like I mean, every, I, 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 let's let's be as open minded as we could probably be with what with what could happen. I mean, but in a traditional sense. I would say the Browns' performance last year dropped them from a four prime time game team to a three prime time game. Just those are the rules. So, but you still got you still got stars on this team, and that's that's who they want in these prime time games. Oh, yeah, I would go Thursday night and two Mondays with a no potential. Thanksgiving. Nah, I don't. I, I don't. I, I'm I telling you, man. I feel like that could be Steelers Cowboys. I've been married to that Browns Cowboys Thanksgiving Day game for like a year and a half, and now I'm not so sure. I, I feel like I feel like that could be Steelers Cowboys, and, and we get knocked from that uh, knocked from that realm. Now, that being said, the one Thursday night game. What if that's Thanksgiving night against, say, a Ravens team or a Steeler football team? You know, if you get the Thursday night game that opens, if you get the Thanksgiving game that opens up the possibility of multiple Thursday night games. Oh, I, know. I think we're getting three. I think three is the right number for us. I think yes. three is a good spot. 
And, and then if you're playing well at the end, maybe you get flexed. Yeah, flexed. I, I, yeah. My only disagreement is I think three in a, in a traditional schedule, I think it's one Thursday and two Mondays. No Sunday for us? No Sunday. I'm I not, think we have I, enough stars. We, we have the Sunday. star power for a Sunday. A All right. Gentlemen, uh, appreciate your time on today's edition of the best podcast available. We come to you later this week. Normally, we would come to you on Thursday. Maybe it's Friday. Maybe it's Wednesday. Depending on when the schedule will get announced and when it will get released. When it does so, we will come to you for the second time this week on the best podcast available. Thanks to Mr. Baco for all of his hard work this week, making his debut behind the scenes on the best podcast available, along with Jeff McDaniel and Paul Taylor. For Nathan Zagura, for Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. Special thanks to our great friends at Arby's. Thanks for the support. Thanks for coming on board with us here these couple weeks. And we look forward to your continued partnership. You can log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you got your podcast. Like and subscribe today to the best podcast available. You can also watch us at youtube.com slash browns. For all of the names that I've just mentioned, thanks for watching and thanks for listening to the best podcast available presented by Arby's. <laughs>